0: Have you ever wondered what it's like to roam the sidelines as an NFL team physician? You're listening to ReachMDXM, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician Roundtable. I'm Dr. Bonnie Solomon, your host, and with me today is Dr. Michael Ankin. Dr. Ankin was an NFL doctor for the Chicago Bears football team for 11 years. He's a practicing pulmonologist and vice president for medical affairs at Lake Forest Hospital in Lake Forest, Illinois. Today we're discussing the experiences of an NFL doctor. Welcome, Dr. Ankin, and thank you for joining us.
1: It is my pleasure, Bonnie.
0: Thank you. Just to start, in what ways are NFL players typical patients, and in what ways are they different?
1: Well, I think that, one, uh, NFL players are, are, are uh, and basically a, a lot of these players are in their, uh, their 20s. Um, occasionally you find someone in their 30s. But the longevity of a professional football player is, uh, in, in, unless you're a kicker or a long snapper or a position player like that, you have a limited amount of time to play the game. And I think that in some respects, they suffer from the same maladies that most young people do, other than the fact that they're not usual um, They are bigger than most people, Uh, and a lot of times things that we look at as being normal, serum creatinine, um, a lot of these guys will have serum creatinines of 1.6, 1.7, without any kidney disease, just from the muscle mass that they have. Right. And other than that, they tend to be macho. Uh, They tend not to complain of uh, illnesses uh, because they don't want to be benched. Uh, there's a lot of pressure on them if, in fact, they are a starter to maintain that status. And if, in fact, they can't play because of a cold or because of a flu or or those type of things, that they, uh, they may not they they may not be like your normal patient and say listen I, I I could take the day off because I've had a temperature. So they may not relate things to you and and in some respects that uh creates a problem because um one of the issues that they all have especially this time of year is is dehydration. And uh dehydration has uh, been a big issue in the NFL for uh, a number of years uh especially with the incident that happened in in, in Minnesota.
0: That was uh, Corey Stringer, yeah, that was who, Corey collapsed, Stringer right?
1: okay, who collapsed and, and died. And I think that uh, uh, when, when an incident like that happens anywhere within the, uh, the NFL society, which is uh, really a small group of, of tightly knit people, and, and it's not that there's not a lot of cooperation between one team and another, especially from the training staff. They'll talk to each other. They will share techniques. Some people like some of the things. I know that the Philadelphia Eagles a few years ago were big on using pickle juice as a means of rehydrating people. Because and, and of all the
0: saline? Because of right. all,
1: all the salt load. Right. And, you know, some people thought that that was ridiculous. And on the other hand, if you really analyzed what pickle juice was, there wasn't was essentially like more like pediolite.
0: Actually, I read one team was using pediolite recently. But,
1: well, lots of teams. Right. The Bears used pediolite.
0: Mm-hmm. But besides dehydration, what are the other most common problems you've treated over the years?
1: Well, I think that, you know, there you always get into common things. I mean, uh, these guys uh, will have appendectomies. Uh, they will have illnesses like that. I think that, you know, there are several things that are sort of unique to, to athletes that that we're very uh, cognizant of. One are arrhythmias, uh, uh, p- players with uh, Wolf-Parkinson-White um, is something that we try to screen for as as much as we possibly can. I think that that's uh maybe a little bit more uh seen in the basketball population. Uh, but uh uh yeah, we we've, we've, had, we've had players and and oftentimes there's a lot of pressure on the on the on the physician uh to to make calls especially around draft time. uh when you go to the combine and and you're looking at 500 of these uh, college players that are going to be in the draft, uh, the combine essentially is a pre-employment physical.
0: Which uh, leads me to my next question is, what kind of a medical evaluation is performed on a player? And this would probably be at the combine where you're doing a a thorough evaluation.
1: Well, every player, whether they're at the combine or every year that they're in, this is done by contract. This is part of the players' union and NFL combined contract. And they all get uh, tests done every year. They get a uh, complete, they get a CBC, a, a complete uh, chemistry profile. They get an EKG. They get a cardiogram. They get hearing tested. They get a pulmonary function test. They get uh, urinalysis. Uh, and uh, that that's sort of the basic Package that every player gets every year.
0: Now, has that changed over the years due to various pressures and various cases?
1: I think that uh, you know the pulmonary function test thing was sort of started several years ago um, uh, because there, we, we found that there were a lot of players that that had asthma that didn't present necessarily. Um, uh, one it didn 't appear their functioning i 've never i 've had you know the bears had several guys that had asthma that were on inhaled steroids uh that 's not a banned substance for them uh it 's not like in a, in uh, uh in 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 the Olympics, okay, where where, uh, a lot more things are banned, but uh, uh, no, I've never had to remove a player because of an asthma attack. But the pulmonary function test and the idea of uh, of of exercise related coughing and 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 those type of symptoms were the ones that sort of prompted the pulmonary function testing to be done.
0: Now, when do you take a player out of a game, and who gets the final say? Is it going to be you, the physician, or is it the coach?
1: Uh, it's the physician.
0: No doubt about it. There's no
1: uh, arguments. I've never had an argument in that regard. And for the most part, uh, most of the time that a player is removed from the game, it's, it's from an orthopedic injury. Um, as, a, as an internist, uh, the things that, uh, that we dealt with were really mostly before the game. You know, I, I went out last night, uh, I ate some food, I got diarrhea. OK, but during the game situation, the things that the internist really dealt with were really two things. One was dehydration and the other one was head trauma.
0: Now, head trauma brings up a whole new issue. Yes, Uh, it does. There has been a lot of press recently about concussions and their long term effects. Do you believe the NFL was slow in picking up on this?
1: No, I don't think the NFL was really slow on picking up with it. It wasn't that they were dragging their feet. They actually had been doing relatively sophisticated studies and had invested millions and millions of dollars into basic science research on on head trauma, uh, at least over the course of the last six and seven years. There was a relatively involved program where uh, if, in fact, a player did have a mild traumatic brain injury, meaning that whether they lost consciousness or didn't lose consciousness or whether they were pulled from the game, you would actually start a whole series of events. And the NFL actually had a form that had to be filled out at the time of the injury, uh, after the game, and a series of them until the player returned back into practice. And part of that form had to do with their symptoms, whether this was uh, their cognitive impairment, whether they didn't remember what was going on before the event. There was a mini mental status exam- Exam that went into it. And then after that form actually got submitted, the NFL and this research company would actually take the film of the game where a player did have a head injury, and they actually would reconstruct the same impact with crash test dummies that would look at where he was hit, what brand of helmet he was wearing. Over the years, the helmets have have changed. Uh, There are new brands of helmets that you will see on the field now that uh, weren't there before. They seem to have a lot more plastic around the ear area where a lot of these impacts uh, did occur. And we had several players who did have head injuries that did not have a subsequent head injury once they changed their helmet. And I think that, you know, the data that the NFL actually uh, gathered, the controversy really was that if you looked at data that was published in the neurology literature or the neurosurgery literature, um, a lot of these were done on high school kids. One of the premises that the NFL had was, is a high school kid the same as an adult when it comes to repeated head trauma? I think that, in other words, it the the player wants to go back in. Uh, in other words, the only time I ever really felt inhib- intimidated on the sideline was telling a player that he couldn't play anymore.
0: A big player, I would assume um, too. Well,
1: I mean, they're all bigger than me. Okay, <laughs> uh, so uh, even the smaller guys were big. And over the years, it really wasn't a subtle finding. In other words, somebody that really had a mild traumatic brain injury. He wasn't going back to play. He didn't know what he had for breakfast.
0: Uh, now, the other uh, thing besides the head injuries that's come up is uh, the long-term health problems that are starting to pop up. Uh, you hear it for retired players. Uh, besides the usual arthritic uh, needs and orthopedic surgeries, there's discussions about dementia and depression also.
1: And premature aging. Correct. Uh, and I think that, uh, you know, the NFL is currently undergoing a study on this. This year, they instituted this at the beginning of training camp this year. So the first set of data has actually just gone in just now. And what they're really looking at is veteran players. These are not retired guys who played for 11, 12 years. These are guys that have been on the team for four or five years. And there is some evidence that this type of uh, lifestyle may, in fact, lead to premature arteriosclerosis. One of the studies that was done about uh, four years ago uh, had to do with sleep apnea. It said that two percent of the population has obstructive sleep apnea, and that uh, if you're a larger person, uh, you're more likely to have it than than if you're not a larger person. I think
0: they speculated Reggie White. Had uh, I,
1: a... I would speculate on that as right. well. Okay. Right. And I think that, you know, we actually did do a study. uh, This was completed about four years ago. It was sort of spearheaded by Dr. Levy, who is the internist of the Giants. And uh, he had some interest in sleep studies. And so he actually uh, had a protocol. We had, I think, six teams. Each team donated 20 players. Ten of the players were wide receivers, defensive backs, normal-size folk. And the other ten players were linemen. And what they found is that in the normal size guys, uh, 2% of them had sleep apnea on formal sleep studies, whereas the linemen, 37% of them had obstructive sleep apnea. So that was a significantly higher percentage than one had imagined. And the original idea of the study was that if in fact you could diagnose these guys with sleep apnea and then treat their sleep apnea, would they become better football players? In other words, would they be more attentive in the classroom phase of their work? Would they not miss the signals on the line okay, uh, and, and go off sides? And so the initial idea was that once you got this data, you were going to treat them and then see if you could see uh, a change in performance. Well, the problem was it's very difficult to do these studies on active players because the players don't really want to know if there's something wrong with them.
0: They are certainly typical patients in some ways, and as you've discussed, they are certainly very different in many ways. Unfortunately, we have to close, but I wanted to thank Dr. Ankin, who's been our guest, and we've been discussing the experiences of an NFL doctor today. I am Dr. Bonnie Solomon. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. For questions and comments, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com or visit us at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.